From Southern California, this is Outlook in Review, a summary of world headlines, technology and business news, arts and entertainment features, and instructive encouragement from the Praiselite Media Studios, Thousand Oaks, California. Good day, it's Wednesday, the 2nd of January, 2019. With the brand new year just two days old, new laws are already kicking into effect, some of which mean higher minimum wage for several areas in the U.S. The state wage hikes ranged from an extra five cents per hour in Alaska to a one dollar an hour bump in Maine, Massachusetts, and for some California companies. This according to a report by Yahoo News, which stated that Seattle's largest employers started paying workers at least sixteen dollars an hour starting yesterday. On New Year's Eve, many New York City employees began earning no less than $15 an hour, more than twice the federal minimum of $7.25. The hourly minimum wage in Missouri rose from $7.85 to $8.60 on Tuesday as the first of five annual increases that will take it to $12 by 2023. And in Arkansas, the base hourly rate rose from $8.50 to $9.25, signaling the first of several wage increases slated to raise minimum wage to $11 an hour in that state. However, with no extra resources to reach into in order to meet these new requirements, many businesses are already laying off employees, raising prices for products and services, or taking a sizable hit as they ring in 2019. 7-Eleven is testing a new concept store in Japan which will get rid of cashiers. Similar to the Amazon Go stores opening up in Seattle and elsewhere, these stores still in testing mode use facial recognition to authenticate shoppers and check them out. According to a recent report by Forbes, 7-Eleven and Amazon aren't the only ones on this automation trend. McDonald's and Panera Bread have also announced that they too are starting to use ordering kiosks instead of cashiers. Target, Walmart, Home Depot, Lowe's, Kroger, Albertsons, and numerous other stores have also followed suit with updates to their already well-established automated checkout systems. In 1958, British author Michael Bond published a children's book about a bear. But this wasn't just any bear. This was Paddington Bear. Named after the famous London train station, Paddington Bear, with his old hat, battered suitcase, complete with a secret compartment enabling it to hold more items than it would appear to, as well as a duffel coat and an obsessive love of marmalade, has become a classic character from English children's literature. The lovable character is noted for always being very polite, addressing people as Mr. Mrs. and Miss, rarely by first names, and very kind-hearted, although he inflicts hard stares on those who incur his disapproval. Each story about Paddington plays off of his endless capacity for innocently getting into trouble, but he's always known to try so hard to get things right, and each story ends with a happy solution. The stories introduce Paddington as he arrives as a stowaway coming from darkest Peru, sent by his Aunt Lucy who is going to a home for retired bears. He is taken in by the very English family the Brown.
Browns, who look after him and consider him part of their own family. There have been several radio and TV adaptations of the stories, including an audiobook recording read by the author Michael Bond himself, and a 2014 film starring Ben Wishaw and Hugh Bonneville, with a sequel to that film released in 2017. Paddington Bear has become a family favorite, both in book, audio, and film for generations, and in Paddington fashion, leaves everyone longing for a good marmalade sandwich, or perhaps just some hot tea. There's an ugly battle raging in today's places of higher learning. The strongest, the most enforced form of training going on in secular colleges today is a rigorous push to cement into the cognizance of the studious subject the belief that the precepts, such as morality, prayer, study of the truths in God's word, anything conceived by the inerrant word of God is outdated, unnatural, laughable, and just plain wrong. This tsunami of slander constructed against the word of God is directed wholly at the student and their innately human yearning to be accepted. The first waves of subtle disparagement smash ashore directly upon the scholar's arrival on campus in the form of clubs, social media, and peer pressure. Then come the subsequent waves of compromise, harassment from classmates and professors alike, textbook content, media, and every other outlet that the undergraduate is subjected to 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. The perpetrated common knowledge that Christianity is silly batters every angle of the truths once felt by the student to be indisputable. The Savior's now seemingly distant call to follow hard after him and to study his word when tempted tried and often failing, becomes consistently drowned out by the waves of godless renderings of philosophy, science, and new thought. Sadly, all too often the outcome of this largely unrestrained combat for young minds leaves us little room for genuine surprise when the students who were raised in godly, Bible-reading homes come out the other side of today's colleges and universities utterly brainwashed into godless, entitled mindsets, engaging in rampant anti-Christian culture wars, and despising the things of Christ that they once declared to hold dear. We've seen it happen to classmates, families, and friends time and again, and it makes our hearts sick as we helplessly watch them just fade away. This being said, ultimately, God is the one who preserves and draws his own back to him if they are his to begin with. But that knowledge doesn't necessarily make it much easier to watch as the brainwashing festers and grows uglier and uglier semester after semester. But as Christians, we must not be driven by fear, but always remember that God is sovereign over all. For as 2 Timothy 1 tells us, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. May we, as the very next chapter tells us, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. May we know God for who he is and what his power does, and the knowledge of that will drive out the fear of sinful man and what they can do. John assures us in chapter 10 of his book that God is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Remember that God will hold his own elect firmly. 
Now, this doesn't mean, however, to send your college-aged children over the edge of the white cliffs of Dover and expect to find them unbroken at the bottom. But with discernment, wisdom, and faith, we must separate young adults with love, instruction, and never discount the extreme importance of instilling the knowledge of the heart of man's sinful state and our need for a relationship with Christ our Savior. It is a worthy pursuit to be well-versed in theology and memory verses and details from scripture, but for salvation there must be redemption of the heart. Simply being able to win a debate about the particulars of scripture or doctrine does not evidence a redeemed heart that God will hold fast through the storms of life. Everyone is unique and able to handle different battles at different levels, so there is no standard procedure and it takes insight and wisdom to know what battles are likely to be conquests and which may require more training in God's word and a deeper relationship with him. May we all be continually putting on the full armor of God so that we can, as Ephesians 6 says, take our stand against the devil's schemes wherever we go. Thanks for listening to Outlook in Review. Contact us anytime with questions or comments. We'd always love to hear from you. We're on Twitter at Outlook in Review and Facebook.com forward slash Outlook in Review, where you can find information to various topics we cover on the show. Until next time from Thousand Oaks, California, I'm Ben Ditzel. This is Outlook in Review. Outlook in Review.